It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. God bless you all. In the last episode of this program, I discussed the evidence against the Darwinian theory from seven different scientific sources. Since 2001, over a thousand scientists of various worldviews have signed a published statement questioning the legitimacy of Darwinism. The statement reads, quote, we are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. I could continue the approach today of giving facts in opposition to Darwinism by mentioning, for example, Michael Denton's book Evolution, A Theory in Crisis, and listing some points from the field of molecular biology that Denton makes. Or I could point out the immorality of those who rush to accept the fakes of the Piltdown Man fossil, Ernst Haeckel's fake embryo sequences, and the peppered moth, the latest Darwinian evidence to bite the dust, which unfortunately still appears in most high school biology textbooks. Despite this tendency, I hope I have convinced you that there are strong reasons to conclude that Darwinism is a failed theory for a general biological model. But this battle between creation and Darwinism is really a small skirmish in a much greater war. At issue are opposing worldviews, and Darwinism is merely a child of one of those worldviews. So now I turn from discussing the failed Darwinian theory masquerading as science to a brief discussion of these two opposing worldviews where one is called to live by the truth, but the other's doctrines merely masquerade as truth. For more than a century, there has been a shift in the worldview of the Western culture. It has been a shift away from a worldview that was at least vaguely Christian toward something completely different, toward a worldview based upon the idea that the final reality is impersonal matter or energy shaped into its present form by chance. The two worldviews are two total concepts of reality standing in complete antithesis to each other. Not only are they two total concepts of reality, but they would bring forth two totally different conclusions, both for the individual and for society. You might say that these two worldviews is between the Christian worldview 
and the secular, humanistic, or atheistic worldview. The latter view charges Christianity as being exclusivistic, intolerant, narrow-minded, elitist, snobbish, self-righteous, judgmental, and bigoted. Everyone has heard charges like these, especially from our secular media. This war between these two worldviews is raging for the soul of every human being. It's a war between eternal life or death, and humanity is the territory over which this war is waged. Every day we are either taking ground or losing in this war. There are no demilitarized zones on this earth to which we can flee. Therefore, the only reasonable course is to understand the war, prepare to fight in it, and win. There is no way to mix these two worldviews. They are separate entities that cannot be synthesized. Yet, liberal Christianity, also known as liberal theology, and historically as Christian modernism, makes every effort to mix the two. This attempt to bring forth a mixture started soon after the Enlightenment, circa 18th and 19th centuries, and has continued to synthesize these two views right up to the present time. But when the chips are down, these liberal theologians have always come down on the side of the non-religious, skeptical humanist. They do this because what their liberal theology amounts to is humanism, pure and simple. But it is expressed in theological terms instead of other pejorative terms. This means actually they have joined forces with the other worldview in a camouflaged form. In fact, liberal Christianity is based on a departure from the traditional tenets of biblical Christianity and thus falls short of biblical Christianity. Its doctrines sound like the same vocabulary of Orthodox Christianity, but their meaning is far from the substance of biblical faith. Liberal Protestantism grew from the Enlightenment's rationalism and Romanticism of the 18th and 19th centuries because of a perceived need to adapt Christianity to a more modern, up-to-date view. Since about 1750 A.D., Enlightenment philosophy has exercised tremendous influence on both Protestant and, more recently, Roman Catholic churches. Christology, the branch of Christian theology that deals with Jesus as the Christ, is the target. The anti-supernatural bias of this intellectual movement tended to reduce Jesus to a mere human being, an exemplary human being, but a human being nevertheless. To understand the liberal view of Christology, we begin not with the fact of the Enlightenment prejudice against miracles, but rather with the Enlightenment view of anthropology that undergirds all their 
philosophy. Basic to the Enlightenment's view of humanity was its insistence that the fundamental relationship between God and humanity is one of continuity. By that they mean that humanity and God were viewed as being in basic harmony with one another and not at enmity with each other as the epistle to the Romans teaches in Romans 8 verse 7. Within this intellectual framework, Christian liberalism was birthed. Liberals bought into the idea that Jesus no longer would be viewed as one who saved people from the dual problem of sin and sins. Why? Because there really was no sin problem in the first place from which humanity needed saving. In Christian liberalism, Jesus is no longer viewed as God incarnate or as a divine savior. Jesus is just a man though characterized by moral excellence, an example to, and a moral teacher of, the human race. Liberalism views Jesus as simply a model Christian, a supreme example of human attainment of God's ideal for humanity, but nothing more. Whereas the traditional Christianity viewed Jesus as different in quality from other humans by virtue of his deity, Christian liberals saw only a quantitative difference between Jesus and other people. In their view, the difference was merely of degree and not of kind. Mark's gospel says that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus' primary message was not about himself, but about the kingdom of God and how people can get into the kingdom, repent, and believe the gospel. The criteria are repent and believe. It is not about doing some good deeds of charity or loving others as some Christian denominations claim. Liberalism, on the other hand, claims that Jesus pressed for social and economic justice, and for that he paid the ultimate price, execution on the cross. Liberal Christians view humanity as basically good with no real sin problem. Since the liberal view of Jesus was that he was merely one of us and not divine, and humanity is not by nature in bondage to sin, liberalism denied any saving value in the death of Jesus on the cross. Rather, one gained salvation through ethical behavior. In other words, Christian liberalism is a works-based religion. His death on the cross was an uplifting influence on people setting a commendable example of sacrifice. But his death was not for our sins, contrary to 1 Corinthians 15.3. Most liberal Christians appreciate how the story of Jesus' resurrection exemplifies how death is not the final word. 
Even those who do not believe that Jesus physically rose from the grave buy into this metaphor. They believe that Jesus' followers had mystical visions or hallucinations of him after his death. They think that the love people show to others lives on eternally after the body dies. Not only does Christian liberalism see Jesus as merely one of many religious teachers alongside Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, etc., but also the Bible as one of many religious writings. Often Christian liberalism begins with the denial of the absolute reliability and historical accuracy of the Word of God. They assume that the Bible has no special status or authority, that in fact it is a fallible document. They treat Scripture with an anti-supernatural bias and dismiss miracles as the fantasies of ignorant people in biblical times with no understanding of the laws of nature. Often, Christian liberals say, quotes, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally, end quotes. They follow scholars like Marcus Borg, John Dominic Croson, and the Jesus Seminar in viewing the Bible as a mix of history, poetry, myth, metaphor, and mistakes. Most regrettably, Christian liberalism's rejection of the authority of the Bible culminates in the denial of the sacrificial and substitutionary nature of the death of Christ. Some say, surely God could have a better way. But the Bible makes it very clear that the death of Christ was a reality necessary for the salvation of humanity. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross was pivotal to the redemptive plan of God toward humanity. Any deviation from this plan is an unacceptable abbreviation. The biblical Christian must hold to an exclusive gospel teaching that Jesus is the only Savior and that there are no other ways to salvation and eternal life. H. Richard Niebuhr's criticism of Christian liberalism is pertinent. He said, A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. I believe every denomination in America has inadvertently adopted some of the doctrines of Christian liberalism. The only evidence I have to support that claim is that recent surveys say that those individuals in the church only six to nine percent live by a biblical worldview. I close this episode by reminding you to exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.